I heard of a true story of uh, an instance in the Republic of Ireland. Uh, a man wanted to impress his girlfriend, so he took her out to a very fancy restaurant. And as they were sitting there at the dinner table, uh, they looked across and they saw an adjacent table, uh, Bono, the singer of U2. Uh, U2 is quite a famous band if you've not heard of it. Uh, Bono was sitting at this table having dinner with a friend. Now, this man and his girlfriend were both big fans of U2, but they didn't want to disturb Bono. They thought it'd be a bit inappropriate just to go over, so they just sat there and bided their time. But then Bono goes up and goes out to the bathroom. And so here was the chance. Here was the chance. And the man gets his, his courage and he goes over to the table uh, and says to Bono's friend, Look, I'm a bit embarrassed about this, but um, we're really big fans of Bono. Uh, do you think you'd mind um, if he took a photo? Uh, with him and his auto get his autograph. So the friend said, well, I I'm not sure. Uh, I'll check with him when he comes back. You just go and sit down, and if it's okay, I'll signal to you. So they went back and sat down, and uh, Bono came back, and after a moment, uh, the friend gave them the, the signal, and so over they came to the table. And they said, oh, Bono, thanks so much for being willing to see us. We're such big fans, and they had the photo and the selfies, and they got the autograph. And they asked the friend, Hey, come on, you, would you take a few photos of us uh, with Bono? So they took the photos. It's all very nice. Anyway, they went back to their table, finished their meal. And afterwards, uh, the man with his girlfriend asked for the bill. And the waiter said, ah, it's already been paid for. And the man said, what? Did Bono pay for our bill? But the waiter said, no, it wasn't Bono. It was his friend, Bruce Springsteen. An example of people failing to recognize true greatness. Uh, maybe it depends on your musical taste as to which of the two you class as truly great. But he failed to recognize who else was sitting there with Bono. Uh, when we come to John's gospel, uh, the gospel is written so that we and all who read it will not make the same mistake about Jesus. That we will not fail to recognize his true greatness and his majesty. And indeed, John has written his gospel, as we've seen in the kids' talk, uh, not just so that we'd understand who Jesus is, but uh, that we'd have a correct response to him, uh, that we would believe in him. Here again is what we learnt in the kids' talk, and which is now indelibly burnt into your minds. Uh, John 20, verse 31. John gives his purpose in writing his gospel, but these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So there is uh, the chief concern of the Apostle John in writing this gospel, uh, who Jesus is. Uh, he's the, the Christ, God's King, the Son of God. Uh, what response is required? Uh, belief in him, faith in him, and indeed the fruits, the benefits that flow out of that correct response, the having life in his name. And so we come to what is called the prologue, uh, this introductory section of John's Gospel. Uh, John's Gospel is unlike the other three Gospels, uh, which are called the Synoptic Gospels. Um, the Synoptic Gospels tend to draw on common material and therefore have many similarities, but John's Gospel is quite different, uh, but a beautiful complementing of the Synoptics. Now, unlike in the Synoptics, uh, in John's Gospel there's no birth narrative. He starts with this majestic uh, prologue, and the central character and theme uh, of this is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
it's been described a bit like a, a foyer in which you go to, uh, off which lead various corridors. And this is the foyer leading into the Gospel of John. And we'll see many themes in this prologue which then occur again throughout the Gospel. Uh, we see a theme of light and darkness. We see the theme of, of new birth, of being born again, of life, eternal life, being born of God. And then we see the theme of revelation, God making himself known. And so, uh, let us look more closely at this wonderful prologue. And really, the opening words uh, could not have been more dramatic. It was, it's likely that John the Apostle, uh, who wrote this probably in about 80 to 85 AD, um, wrote this primarily to reach out to uh, Jews as an evangelistic tool. Uh, we'll see in many aspects of the letter, he assumes the knowledge of the Old Testament. And so he's, re he's, he's, he's writing this so that Jewish people can come to a true faith in God. Although, of course, the benefit of that is not just limited to Jews. But his opening three words would have impacted his Jewish readers very dramatically. Uh, John 1 verse 1. In the beginning. In the beginning. Now you see, for the Jews, the opening words of the book, the books in their scriptures were very important. They actually became, if you like, the title of the book. And so... Uh, where else do we see this title to their scriptures? Of course, we go back to the very first book in their corpus, uh, Genesis itself. In the beginning. Uh, in the beginning, Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And it's not a coincidence, therefore, that John uses this same opening three words, in the beginning, because what he's wanting to say is this. What I'm writing about in this gospel, this is as dramatic, this is as foundational as the events that are recorded in the book of Genesis, the creation of everything coming into existence. Because what I'm recording in this gospel, John is saying, is in effect a new creation. With the coming of Lord Jesus Christ, the opportunity of a new covenant people of God being created, of life being granted, of something being created out of the darkness. And so he's deliberately setting the stage for something very dramatic to his readers in the beginning. So it's an attention grabber uh, and he is really getting the leader's attention. And if that is the first way he seeks to grab their attention, the second way he grabs their attention is by the term he uses, the title to describe the Lord Jesus Christ. The Word, the Word. Now, what we're going to see is this. We're going to see in this prologue, firstly, the nature of the Word, uh, the work of the Word, and finally, the achievements of the Word. So, uh, firstly, the nature of the Word. Uh, John continues this, uh, picking upon this link with Genesis by talking about Jesus as the Word. And of course, going back to Genesis, the Word is the powerful agency of creation. What does God say? Let there be light. And there was light. Uh, God's Word is powerful. It is the agency of creation. Uh, the psalmist reflects on this in Psalm 33, verse 6. Uh, by the Word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry hosts by the breath 
of his mouth. But now John takes that a step further. John says that actually the word is a person. Before anything existed, John is saying, the word was with God. Not only was the word with God, but he was God himself. Uh, Verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now, we could take a whole sermon just to unpack those two verses. There is incredibly profound and deep truths embedded there. Uh, Time does not allow, but just to briefly, very briefly unpack it. Uh, In the beginning was the Word. The Word, Jesus Christ, is telling us He is eternally pre-existent. He already existed before matter was created, before the cosmos was brought into being. In the beginning was the Word. Uh, The second thing it tells us is that the Word was with God. Now, to say that a person is with someone, it's a relational term. So it conveys the ideas of a relationship. In other words, two people together. And so the word, Jesus Christ, is a person who was with God, but was a separate person to God. Second thing we've seen. But the third thing we see is very important, because before we reach the wrong conclusions, we're also told the word was God. Jesus Christ is God. Pre-existence, a separate person to God, but also he is God. So you see what we have. Uh, We have the groundwork for what we call the Trinity, Uh, the relationship of the three persons of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three persons in relationship together. And yet, John has more to say in building this picture of Jesus, the Word. Because it was through this Word that creation came into being. It was through this Word that all life came into being, including human life. Uh, The Word, if you like, is the source of life. He's the source of our breath. And he is the one who lights our eyes with life. Look at verses 3 and 4. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life. And that life was the light of men. The Word, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the magnificent divine agent of creation. He is the light who gives life. What does it mean that the life he grants was the light of men? Uh, Just to tease this out, I think it's pointing to the fact that we are made in the image of God. Uh, Human life is, in a sense, a reflection of the divine life. And the light of human life points us back to the source of that life, the Word, Lord Jesus Christ in whose image we are made. So if you like, our life, the life we have, it has a revelatory function. It points us back to the source of our life, the one in whose image we are made. So 
We've seen, firstly, the nature of the word. Uh, Secondly, we're going to see the work of the word. Uh, I alluded earlier to Hebrews chapter 1 and the opening verses. It reminds us, of course, that God revealed himself in the past in terms of the Old Testament era uh, in various ways uh, through his prophets. And yet Hebrews says that in Jesus Christ, God has acted to give us the supreme act of revelation. Uh, In Jesus Christ, God has given us the fullest and the most dazzling self-disclosure. And in his prologue, uh, John himself describes the word as the light. It has a revelatory function, but he also pairs the light with darkness. Uh, The theme of darkness and light, we're going to see it occurring again and again throughout John's gospel. Uh, It's a pairing that is repeated. Uh, And the point is this. In the world, there is darkness, and the darkness resists the light. The darkness feels threatened by God's self-disclosure, and of course the implications that flow from it. Uh, In John, uh, the darkness is not just an absence of light, it represents positive evil. And therefore, the light of the word performs this revealing function, but the darkness doesn't feel comfortable with it. The darkness opposes it. And the creation, therefore, as we've seen ever since the fall, the creation has been in rebellion against its maker. And people have been uncomfortable with and have ignored and suppressed the true light. And of course, that is what we see in Romans chapter 1. But it's particularly the case when the light of the world now enters the world in the incarnation. The light threatens the darkness and the darkness does not like it. Verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood or the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, If you're looking in the footnotes of the NIV, if you had the NIV open, uh, it gives us an alternative alternative translation saying the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, There is this tension, if you like, this duel between the light and the darkness, but ultimately the darkness does not prevail. So, uh, Jesus is the Word. Uh, He is the light. He reveals God to us. And the next thing we see in John's Gospel is this. Uh, God in His grace takes this initiative to encourage us to respond rightly to the light. Uh, John, in his gra- God in his grace, goes to the trouble of sending a forerunner to the light to prepare us to receive the light appropriately. Uh, I'm referring, of course, to John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist's job was to tell people about the word, the light. Uh, and he did this to encourage people to have a right response to the light, uh, not to oppose it, but to embrace it and to put their trust in the light. Look at verse 6 to 8. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. 
In this prologue, uh, John is preparing his readers for what will follow in his gospel. Indeed, he's preparing his readers for the shock of what will follow in his gospel, uh, the rejection of the light. Uh, John tells us that the true light, uh, the Word, entered our world in the incarnation, and yet his own people rejected him. The world rejects him, and his own people reject him. Uh, Verses 9 to 11. Uh, The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. Uh, He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. How tragic. The creator comes into the creation, and yet the creation does not acknowledge him. He comes to the Jews, and yet his own people reject him. How utterly tragic. So, Uh, What is the work of the Word? The work of the Word, the work of the light, is to reveal God. And He reveals God, of course, supremely uh, in His character, in His words, and in His works. And yet people reject that revelation. They resist the revelation that light brings. And yet, to those who accept the light... There is a second work of the Word in their lives. Not only does the Word reveal God and bring revelation, but the Word brings regeneration, a new life. For those who put their trust in the Word, they are spiritually, inwardly renewed. They are born again. They are born into God's family as His loved children. Verse 12, yet to all who receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. In America, the the term is often banded around, isn't it, uh, of being a born-again Christian. Uh, They say, are you a born-again Christian? as if there are various subsets of what it is to be a Christian and born again is just one of many. But actually what we see here is that a true Christian, every true Christian is a born again Christian. And if you're not born again, then you are not a Christian. Because it is only through the work of the word, bringing inward life, regeneration, that people become children of God. Of course, this is preparing us for chapter 3 of John's Gospel when we get to it. Uh, Nicodemus, who comes to Jesus at night, has that incredible, mind-blowing discussion with Jesus where Jesus says, you must be born again. The link is there, but it's on the agenda. What an incredible, stupendous privilege through faith in the Word to become a child of God, to have this special relationship in God's family. I think about um, the relationship my kids have with me. Uh, It's a very special relationship. Uh, Everything I have, ultimately they can have, although not all at once. Uh, They live in my house. 
Uh, they eat my food. Uh, I provide them with bed and clothing and education. Uh, they come on my holidays, uh, and I love them very deeply. And it's a very special, close relationship. How special. And yet it is nothing, of course, compared to the specialness of our relationship with our Creator, the one who sustains the very universe, the one who gives us breath. We become children of God through trusting in Christ. So we've seen, firstly, the nature of the Word, secondly, the work of the Word, revelation and regeneration, and finally, the achievements of the Word, God made known. If you remember back in verses 10 to 11, uh, John told us that when the word entered the world, most people rejected him. But now in verse 14, he states more explicitly that the word came into the world, he became flesh, he became a human being. But this time, John tells us of some who did recognize his greatness, particularly himself and the other apostles. Uh, John the Baptist was one witness who testified to the light. And the apostles are a second set of witnesses. Verse 14. Uh, The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, To his original readers many of the words used here would have resonated with them very poignantly. Uh, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling amongst us. The Word actually is also translated, could be translated tabernacled amongst us, referring back, of course, to when God lived amongst His people in the Old Testament. Uh, The tent of meeting, uh, the tent, the tabernacle. God living amongst His people, God's presence amongst His people. But of course, that is just a foreshadowing of God's true presence amongst his people in taking on flesh. The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. And we have seen his glory. Here again, another word which would resonate with these Jewish readers, thinking of the glory of God revealed to his people in the Old Testament era. Particularly the glory uh, in the in the tabernacle itself, the Shekinah glory, and the glory which Moses himself saw on Mount Sinai. That revelation of God as he truly is, God's character. Uh, Moses requested, of course, to see God's glory. And in response, God says this in Exodus 33, verse 19. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. Do you see what it means to, in some way, see God's glory? It means that we see God as he truly is. We understand something more of his character. We see his goodness. And his goodness actually comes out in what God then reveals to Moses. Exodus 34, verse 6. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. 
There it is, uh, God's goodness, his love and his faithfulness. Seeing God as he truly is, beholding his glory. Uh, you'll recall, of course, that um, Moses at the time, his face shone through being in God's presence and beholding his glory. Uh, he actually wore a veil to shield his glowing face. And yet, in a more incredible way, the Apostle John is saying, we too have seen the glory which Moses saw. If you like, the faces of the Apostle John and the other apostles were shining because they had seen the glory of the one and only who came from God. They'd seen it in his character. They had walked with him and lived with him for three years during his earthly ministry. They had seen the beautiful, crystal clear perfection of his character, the glory of God. They'd seen it in his miracles, his signs, which revealed his glory. And indeed, when we get to the, the ch his first miracle of changing the water into wine, we'll see that in so doing, the text says, he revealed his glory to his disciples. And of course, his glory is revealed supremely in his death and in his exaltation. There we see the full love and faithfulness of God and his goodness and his justice coming together. And so the apostles are saying, we have seen his glory. We have beheld it. Jesus is the word, the light. So, back in verse 6 to 8, uh, John told us about John the Baptist. Uh, he, called, he said that John is one who came to testify to the word. Uh, now in verse 15, we hear the content of John the Baptist's testimony about the word. Because, of course, John the Baptist recognized Jesus' greatness. And he said, the word, he is the one who came before me, and he is greater than me. Go to him. Uh, verse 15. Uh, John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. And as we come to the final section of the prologue, uh, we see that John finishes by telling us the magnificent thing that the word gives to those who trust in him. Back in verses 1 to 5, we see the word was the divine agent of creation, uh, but he was opposed by darkness. But now, in verses 16 to 18, we see that the divine agent of creation has done for those what he's done for those who receive him, who come to him in faith. And we see this. He blesses them in the deepest way possible. He gives them blessing after blessing. He gives them the blessing of true knowledge of God. Uh, what John does is he reminds his Jewish readers that in the Old Testament, the Jews knew something of God. Uh, and they knew it through Moses and the law that Moses gave. And that indeed was a great blessing. But now, uh, this word has brought a greater blessing, an even greater grace, an even greater truth. And Jesus, the word, gives us blessing after blessing. He has made God known to us. Verse 16, uh, from the fullness of his grace, 
we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. So, uh, what is John's big idea? Uh, What is he saying? It's simply this. In Jesus, the Word, the light, God has made himself known. In Jesus, the Word, we see God's goodness. In Jesus, the Word, we see God's greatness. And John is saying, do you see it? And do you see it for all it is? John is saying, see it for what it is and embrace him for who he is and worship him. Jesus is the greatest person in the history of the world. And Jesus brings the greatest blessing that can possibly be brought to us to make God known to us and to bring us into that special relationship with God through faith in Him, becoming children of God, members of God's family. And of course, it is the most precious thing possible. And yet, sadly, what do we see in our world today? Most people still live in darkness. Uh, Most people don't recognize the greatness of Jesus. Most people don't understand or appreciate who Jesus truly is. And they don't appreciate the true blessing that Jesus can truly give to them. And so the challenge of John's gospel is to recognize the greatness of Jesus, to receive him and to trust him and to believe in his name. Uh, That is the message of the prologue and that is the message of the whole of John's gospel. Uh, If we take a brief overview of the whole of John's gospel, how does it break down? In the first 12 chapters, we see the greatness of Jesus. Uh, The first 12 chapters will give us seven signs, seven miracles that Jesus does that reveal who he is, that demonstrate his greatness. But we'll see also in those 12 chapters this tragedy of how those, his own people, did not receive him. Despite his greatness, Jesus' people, the Jews, reject him. And then the second half of the book, uh, chapters 13 to 27, the focus then becomes Jesus' disciples. The focus then moves to those who did receive him. And in the second section of the book, we'll be listening as Jesus teaches them, as he reveals God to them. And he does so not just in his teaching, but supremely in his death and his exaltation. So, John wants to deepen our appreciation for the greatness of Jesus, uh, to understand more of what it means for him to be the Word, uh, the Christ, the King, the Son of God, the one who gives us true knowledge of God and the one who grants us the right to become children of God. And of course, what does he want to do? Uh, John wants to nurture within us a deepening faith and a deepening sense of wonder and a deepening sense of the privilege of being in God's family. 
That is his aim in writing this gospel, that our hearts would be touched in a deeper way. So my prayer for us this year is this. As we spend these next seven months looking at John's gospel, I pray that we will increasingly come to appreciate in a deeper way the greatness of Jesus. We all understand that Jesus is great in different ways, but we want to continue on that journey of plumbing in some way the depths of that greatness in going deeper. And that is my prayer that in this series we will have a deepening sense of the wonder of who Jesus is, to be touched by his excellence and his quality, to be touched afresh with the privilege of all we have in him, and to be drawn to this deeper level of wonder and worship and discipleship of following him in our daily lives. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Gospel of John, what it tells us about the Word who became flesh, uh, the light of the world, what it reveals, what he reveals to us about the Lord Jesus, about God and his character and goodness. So please we pray as we journey through John's Gospel uh, over these next seven months, uh, please do touch our hearts afresh, uh, amaze us through the greatness of who Jesus is and his greatness. And we pray that it would draw us to a deeper sense of wonder and worship and discipleship. We pray this ultimately for the furtherance of your purposes in our lives as a, as a body of your people. Amen.